Greetings and salutations, film fans. What's up? Welcome into the Second Day Film Podcast. It's the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. I'm Brandon Champion, joined by my fellow philosophizers of film, Evan Dean and Mike Nichols. It is Tuesday, August 31st, 2021. Guys, it's it's great to see you. You're you're looking wonderful in your little boxes on my computer screen. Uh, but uh, the truth is, I don't ever really know what the hell to say off the top here. So I'm just going to say something random. Uh, Evan, what's your favorite Jonah Hill performance? Oh, man, I think I'm going to have to go with uh, Superbad. It was like his coming out party. He was really overweight. He had like that white kid afro. Um it's it's the first thing that popped in my head and for good reason yeah it's an easy one to jump to that's that was sort of his coming out party mike did you have any uh, thoughts on jonah hill uh just that i wish people would stop telling me i look like him uh i mean no offense <laughs> to jonah hill or anything i just i don't think i look like he's him he's skinny now dude yeah. he's skinny that yeah, might be a good, compliment good you know? for he's him. like he's like padded up skinny with like bleach blonde hair he's uh i think he got tired of being like stuck in that particular role right well I mean, yeah he's a, he's and along those lines he's a good actor. yeah along those lines i'll throw moneyball out there i think he's pretty good in that movie as yeah. like uh brad pitt billy bean's advisor like math kid uh i thought he did good in that but sorry that was just something random anyways i think that people like might like those random tan tangents i might do that more often just throw like a like a curveball at one of you guys and test your uh on point film knowledge so i like it uh all right. Well, if you could please like and review the podcast wherever you're listening, it would be very much appreciated. You can check out our Facebook page, Second Day Film Podcast. Mike put something out there uh, a couple days ago uh, about some movies that maybe you can watch if you're if you're that deal with grief. Obviously, a, a topic that a lot of us are familiar with uh, with COVID and just a crazy time. But uh, Mike, I thought that was really well done when you uh, yeah for that sure. There. So thanks for doing that, buddy. Thanks, guys. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's get to it. We got movies to review guys. As always, it's summer. I was starting to panic. I was like, come on guys, we gotta, we gotta meet for a pod. I know we're busy. <laughs> we got hurricanes coming through. We got pandemics. We got, you know, life just happening. Uh, but we had to get in for a pod because we're falling behind. Uh, we're going to do more superhero movies today. It seems like we're often talking about superhero movies, but, uh, they come out a lot. And with Disney Plus series on Marvel, you just get a lot of them. Also, movie In the Heights came out a while ago. It's a musical uh, celebration of culture uh, that I think if you haven't sought it out and watched it, you'll enjoy it. I think all three of us liked it quite a bit. Uh, but let's get to it. Let's start with The Suicide Squad. Uh, this movie's on HBO Max right now. It's directed by James Gunn. Um, it's the second Suicide Squad movie. Uh, an original came out a few years ago and was an abomination. Uh, it's going to be about the supervillains, Harley Quinn, Bloodsport, Peacemaker, and a collection of nutty cons at Belle Reve Prison join the super secret, super shady Task Force X as they are dropped off at the remote enemy-infused island of Corto Maltese. Uh, this one was fun. I, I thought it was pretty fun. Mike, I, I think you sent us a text saying you weren't loving it as much as some other people, but give me some initial thoughts about the Suicide Squad. All right, and I should clarify, uh, listeners, I apologize. I never saw the first Suicide Squad movie because the reviews were just so bad. You weren't missing my, much. All my Trust friends me. said it was bad, and after Batman vs. Superman, I was just like, I don't really know if I need to watch these anymore. But I did watch this one, and I I don't know what the first one's like, but this one is basically just an attempt to try to, I don't know, mesh a bunch of different emotions and different like moods into kind of one cohesive unit of art. And I don't know that it works for me. I think some people will really love this movie, but I know for me, it's not my favorite. Basically it's about, you know, this team, they're like all these like super villains or, or just kind of misfit characters in the DC universe. And they mesh them all together to try to send them, you know, to this, uh, this Island, the Corto, Corto Maltese, and along the way, they have to kind of make friends with each other as well as, you know, find out who amongst their squad is going to be loyal to them and who's really, you know, working for Amanda Waller, who's the, you know, the head person in charge. She's like the evil Nick Fury, so to speak. And then they have the giant, like a battle. Uh, they have to bat battle giant Starro, which is just a, I'm not even kidding. 
it's just a massive starfish with an eyeball, which I'm yeah, sure is, and it was freaking awesome. I'm sure it's from the comics, but it's just like, what is this? Like, He's a very this? well-known comic book villain. And I'm just going to cut you off from reviewing the plot because we don't need that. Um, but I am going to say that I think that you not seeing the first Suicide Squad here is working against you um, because the first Suicide Squad, Mike, was the tone everything was all off it was stupid they weren't they weren't they weren't it did, wasn't cohesive it didn't matter nobody cared about the characters the writing was awful the villain was bad so what you're seeing with this one and what you're kind of describing is james gunn basically leaning full force into that crazy zany absurd like tone where it's just like we know this movie is ridiculous we know all this crazy stuff is going on we know that these characters can do anything at any moment their their motivations are all over the place they're just going to shoot 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 do crazy things and at any moment they can die so like this whole movie through the entire thing it's just too much right like the whole movie is just like what is going on they have a giant starfish marching around sending out uh, little minions to suck on people's head and it's like they're literally fighting a giant animal anamorphic starfish out of like power rangers like back in the day and but this whole thing is it's just leaning into that crazy zany vibe which i think is 100 the right way to go with uh with with suicide squad just being out there and being over the top ridiculous yeah but like i'll push back that it doesn't say consistent with that tone and that's where i think i got frustrated where i was like I don't know who this movie is for because it's I wrote down like three notes as I was watching it. One note I wrote was like, what is the theme of violence trying to say? Like there's this one part where they're like, oh, yeah, we just killed this whole team of freedom fighters. And then they're like, oops, that was hilarious. Like, it, but then it's but then, but then you can't take so- the. But then when they try to make the freedom fighters thing have emotional weight, you can't take it seriously because all of them were just killed as a joke. And then they're just like, well, I don't care about the heart of this movie. I don't think that this movie cares about the heart of it. I don't think it really cares. I think that it used these people, these, these, they're, they're prisoners, right? So they're, the reason that they get drawn into the suicide squad is because they can take years off their life. So years off their sentence. So we don't really care about these characters or whether they live and die. Like, I love how the film will basically be like, we're not afraid to kill anyone at any given moment. We see the complete first squad just get wiped out. Captain Boomerang wiped out. And I thought that that like vibe where it's just like, okay, they put the suicide and suicide squad in this movie. These guys really are just like, you know, there might as well be robots. And I just thought leaning into all that craziness was a good idea, but I guess I just don't care about the heart of this movie. And I don't think James Gunn does really either. Well, that's another thing that, that you can ask is what is the heart of this movie, but also how do they try to tell the story of whatever the heart is? Because this is the second thing I wrote down, which was that you kind of discussed like the zany way it's filmed. And they do a lot of that. And James Gunn is, is well known for that kind of filmmaking style. But I did think that the lighting and the cinematography changed a lot and the style changed a lot more than maybe if it feels like on a first watch. Like you you notice it goes from realistic handheld and some of the stuff where it's like, oh, this is an action epic. But then it goes to like the zany, spinny cartoon stuff where there's literally like, you know, animation. Flowers. Yeah, there's flower animation. That Harley Quinn scene Harley... was awesome, dude. You didn't but, like that? But then the camera moves back again to like highly stylized drama filmmaking. And it's like, I don't understand what what filmmaking like lens we're really trying to tell this story through. It just it just kept shifting tone and shifting style and shifting value themes a little too much for me to really. That's fair. I, I, I found the I guess I found the. I thought the Harley Quinn where instead of, you know, she was just basically what's happening. She's wiping out all these guys and instead of blood coming out, it's all flowers. So it's kind of leaning into the craziness of Harley Quinn. And then you've got like the little, uh, like whatever, I don't know what you want to call it. Like there's little on screen writing, but it's folded into the background and like either through blood or a scorched earth or something. And they're like basically like chapter titles. See, I just think this movie's going for over the top. And I get that you, I guess you could say that it is a little bit too chaotic at times. I think that's a fair criticism, but I think the performances are fantastic throughout too. I thought they, I mean, Idris Elba's solid as our main guy. I mean, Harley Quinn, Margot Robbie's been nailing this role from the start. That was like the one thing that was good out of the original. Yeah. Yeah, All the cast is good. And, and, and Margot Robbie's definitely good. And, um, 
you know, I, I always love Viola Davis and everything, but um, yeah, I just thought there was one other thing that kind of bothered me, and it was, there's a scene where they're in that club, right? And they're running throughout the back, and you see, like, some brief nudity with the dancer, and I, as general, don't really, you know, care about this stuff, but this is like a, this is like set in the Superman DC comic universe, like, this is like a comic movie with all these like, why are we having random, needless, brief nudity in a in a Superman universe thing? It just because it just it's felt a rated really... R movie, Mike. It, this I know, movie, but it's like this movie too much along the lines of a real like MCU movie when you need to be thinking of it more along the lines of Deadpool. That, that's what I'm trying to say. Like that that it's not going for that. Like it doesn't want to be a wholesome blockbuster. It wants to be the Suicide Squad, this band yeah. of outlaws that do shit, however, in their own ways. And, you know, I, I think that I just think that if you would watch the first one, you would see that difference in the two styles and you would see how Maybe. this fits Suicide Squad better. But I just you, think I mean, it felt a little off to be like, hey, this is this is the Superman thing. And we're going to have like random brief nudity. And it was like, wait, needless. I'm sorry. Like, You're surprised by the DC universe not having cohesive uh film tones like you know how batman for superman is all over the place yeah i guess as much as sometimes like i think marvel movies get way too like too close to like a boring equation a little bit the tone and that kind of cartoony look that they keep everything at does help it all blend together when the characters do have to join forces in different universes so (laughs) and also hardcore comic fans which i'm not but they're going to they, if we had more than, you know, 14 people that listen to this podcast, they would come at you with a vengeance for calling Starro the Destroyer a lame villain. I'm, I, just, I'm just telling you, I just didn't. I mean, I, I don't know. I, and I'm not saying I have a problem with nudity or something like I just it just felt what? weird. I about to have Starro, a, not nudity. It just I just feels weird to be like a Superman universe movie where we're like seeing weird kind of stuff. Like, I don't know. It's just. I don't know. Evan, do you have a problem with nudity in superhero movies? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this is like a Superman thing. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm sorry if I'm wrong, people. It's just an opinion. You don't have to apologize. You don't have to apologize, bro. You're you're here to give us your. You're here to give us our your opinions. Uh, Evan, what did what grade would you give it? Not Evan, Mike. Uh, Yeah, I haven't seen it. I'll give it a B minus. I guess. Because I like I, gave, I like I, the actors. I gave it a seven out of ten. I thought it was an enjoyable ride. I think if you just it's one of those movies where you kind of just sit back, you watch it unfold, you you lean into how crazy it is. You know, people are getting headshots left and right. There's you know people getting killed all over the place. Uh, it's it's a rated R movie for sure. Um, so yeah, I thought it was enjoyable and a and a noticeable improvement from the original film, which was just dreadful just dreadful so thank you james gunn for at least giving us a competent suicide squad movie uh we're also going to get a peacemaker show on hbo max did you know about that okay you know what now i give it a c plus just for that you didn't like john cena i I have no problems with john cena's performance i just don't get the character or why any of this i don't know it's not my thing sorry if suicide squad's your thing enjoy the movie <laughs> Evan, this is why you got to see those movies, man. I need you got to. We need someone to break the tie. Here. I know. Yeah, I just am looking up like these characters and this villain. It's like the most outrageous looking villain I've ever seen. But one thing that I think I can uh, Wait, at least villain. question is, you know, when you were sort of talking about this, it made me think of a couple of MCU films. Um, it made me think of Guardians of the Galaxy. Because they've embraced Why, James Gunn directed that too. I know he directed that, but but they embraced a different tone. And exactly. and Thor Ragnarok, uh, after the first two Thors, which weren't good, embraced that comedic tone. And they, you know, MCU decided to kind of go comedic with their space-based uh, heroes. And is it like that, or is this just like so batshit? crazy that it, it, it doesn't there's yeah. it's basically like comedy on top of ultra violence yeah. which is makes it almost feel satirical in a way hmm. yeah i mean it's, it's almost just like we know this is violent and crazy but here our characters are cracking jokes then they're going to cut someone's head off 
you know, yeah. or our two of our guys are going to kill an entire band of mercenaries that end up being good guys. And we're just going to laugh at it when we meet the boss, you know, it's just stuff like that. So, but they're obviously cracking comedy. I, I didn't think this was like a laugh out loud, funny movie. Actually, ironically, I thought black widow was actually more funny this, than this movie, which is not something that I expected. Um, hmm. But yeah, it's, I, I think it's worth watching. Uh, I mean, it might not be for everyone as we've seen with Mike, but it's on HBO max, I think for a couple more days. Uh, but let's move on. We got other things to talk about here. Uh, let's talk about Loki. It's the latest in the Disney plus uh, lineup of Marvel cinematic universe shows. Uh, the mercurial villain Loki resumes his role as the God of mischief in a new series that takes place after the events of Avengers Endgame. It's created by Michael Waldron. That's a pretty um, abstract uh, description of what Loki's actually about. Um, but it's kind of fun because if you, you don't really know which way it's going to go going into this uh, show. I didn't know which way it was going to go going into it. Me and Mike have seen the whole thing. Evan is slacking behind per usual. So we're not going to be able to uh, give our full thoughts, full spoiler free thoughts on this because we don't want to spoil Evan. Uh, so that's going to make the show really, really, really hard to talk about. Um, but Evan, what are your impressions of the first two episodes? First off, I mean, I just, you know, I, I love that there's the, the comedy in this show and I love I love Owen Wilson. Like he's just one of those characters that he doesn't have to say a whole lot or say anything all that funny, but his delivery and the way in which, you know, he just communicates, I think is great. Um, I I've really liked it so far. Like I said, I've only seen two episodes, so I've just um, really just started getting into it. But one of the things that I think, uh, you know, I've noticed right away is, I mean, Loki is such a perfect character for a story that's going to revolve around um, multiple Lokis, multiple timelines, multiple paths in life, if you will. Because as we know through the MCU and as we know through um, Loki's character, which is kind of you know taken from start to finish uh, in the first episode, we know that he you know starts out as a villain in the MCU and he. Um, you know, he essentially redeems himself in some of some sort and then some sort along the way. And so to use maybe good Loki to try to catch maybe bad Loki, who I'm not really sure actually is Loki right now. I'm a little <laughs> bit in the in the uh, I'm a little confused at the end of the last episode with the female. Um, so I, th- I just think all in all, it's a, you know, Marvel does such a good job in uh, picking these characters and creating these storylines and these worlds and these ideas around them. And I watched, I actually just wrapped up WandaVision and I I liked that. And I thought it was a great use of those two characters. And I think uh, Loki so far is perfect for this type of story, I guess. Just knowing he, you know, he's kind of like your, I don't know, do we want to call him an anti-hero? What would you guys say? Yeah. That's what I call him. Yeah. Yeah. So I've really liked it so far. And I know you guys are going to be a little hamstrung, um, but um, it, I really like where it's going. I think it's going to surprise me along the way. Well, there's there's thing, ways that we can talk about it that don't spoil it. I mean, yeah, you're, you're on the right track with the idea of, you know, multiverses. And we already know with the show What If that's out now that they're already exploring that idea of the multiverse. And, you know, the comics have so many iterations of, storylines and timelines that uh that sort of multiverse uh effect is already sort of layered in the fabric of the uh, of marvel um but what i think stands out about this show early on is sort of the you know the production design and sort of the eccentric vibe of the whole show it feels very much like nothing that we've seen before in the mcu where you sort of have like these nondescript like offices that feel like they're somewhere out of like the late 70s early 80s (laughs) yeah and it's just like this weird decor and vibe and like like almost like this place has been around forever but nothing nothing feels quite like uh, that it's of this world so i think they really nail that sort of eccentric vibe especially early on and that puts you in the right headspace to be like okay we're gonna be doing things a lot different in this show than we have in the rest of the mcu yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, you know, just little things like you're, you're right. You know, it's a story about time and, and traveling throughout time. And we don't even know, 
you know, what the TVA, you know, what time they're located. And we have Miss Minutes who kind of makes you think of like the fifties and jets, the Jetsons and like. Miss Minutes. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, Miss Minutes you, is like someone, I feel like someone would be like watching this show and then there'd be like, Miss Minutes pops up and they're like, shit, did I like eat mushrooms or something? Like what is <laughs> going on here? Yeah. Uh, but there, there's like a drawer with all a number of different infinity stones they've gathered from different timelines yeah. and they don't, can't do anything. Um, yeah, it's, so it's I, kind I, of, I'm funny. excited. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested. I think it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's off to a good start for me. What'd you think, Mike? Um, I have to admit, like I got a little just, lost in some of it like i i thought it was very stylized thought the acting was good i thought it opened very strong where it's like hey we're gonna take this character of loki and we're really gonna dig into how do we almost like reform the character like the way um you know when once he's uh once he's caught like they want to start like kind of changing him they want to like make him watch his life and confront his past and then you know, even near the end, he's kind of trapped in a moment where after he did something wrong, he then has to face the like that like 40 second loop of that consequence until he finally gets to the point where he's like, hey, I did this bad thing because I am a narcissist and a jerk and I'm really sorry. Like, I like the, the way it kind of played with big um, like astrophysics ideas about like time and like you know who we are and our consciousness within it and all the different realities of us that could be and how different choices would have changed who we are. Like I thought that aspect of it was very interesting and, and, you know, for, you know, a a Marvel Disney superhero show was, was actually pretty, pretty thoughtful and well done. Um, The show it's very much about, right. It's very much about like Loki coming to terms with Loki, you know, like all the different aspects. I mean, it's the show's called Loki, so that makes sense. But you know, within the framework of the story, uh, you know, the the it really does ask that question. Like, we get all the different aspects and variants of Loki and how he could be this way and how he is in this reality and how he's in this reality. And it really is our Loki, our main sacred timeline Loki, that is sort of looking at this and and taking it all in after, you know, the consequences, the things that he knows of his entire life and sort of putting it in perspective and into his scope. And it changes him as our character and and sends him in a pretty exciting direction, I think, moving forward. So I agree. The ideas were great. I love the, you know, I'm not going to give it away, but there's one episode uh, that I think is a standout. It's, it's the one right before the finale episode five. Um, I think that that one is is just a wonderful hour of television, super entertaining to watch. And we get a surprise cameo at the end, which potentially is going to lead into a lot of other things. And I think this show, which there is a second season, by the way, is really launching mm. uh, the MCU in a really interesting direction uh, at the end of this. Yeah, this show definitely feels like a setup show in a lot of ways. Like, yeah, it has some good character dives into Loki. But then the whole main villain and the whole kind of final conflict and the consequences of that, it definitely didn't feel like it was resolved. Like mm-hmm. you would want a story to be, okay, this was this and it wrapped it up and it was satisfying. It's like, nope, it kind of just now left you with more questions and more open-ended like, well, where, what's the next adventure going to be? Where's this going to go now? Even with the kind of cliffhanger it leaves you on. So I wish, and Marvel kind of does this, like where they always kind of build you up into the next thing. I wish there was a little more completion to this, especially as it was like a Loki redemption arc story, but you know, whatever, we'll see what's coming next. And um, yeah, overall it was, it was a fine watch. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I would just, I would just add, you know, next uh, spring we're getting Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness. So my guess is that uh, perhaps he's the cameo and that's what we're, that's what we're leading into. Um, you've also got uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. So you've got a lot of, yeah. uh, you've got, like I said, What If is already on now. And that's the very premise of that show is just exploring alternate timelines. So yeah. uh, Marvel's, this is the this is where the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe is going to go in phase four. It's going to be exploring this idea of the Marvel Cinematic, you know, multiverse almost, mm-hmm. uh, which opens up a lot of possibilities. But it also opens up the possibility for them to undo a lot of the good work they've already done 
in the mm. MCU, if you start to cheapen the sacred timeline, I think that was a risk when they started going down this Loki multiple timeline sort of storyline is uh, you do risk uh, cheapening the good work you've done over 20 plus films when you start opening up new realities. And that's a fine line that these filmmakers need to continue to walk. Yeah. And I just, I just wonder, is it going to get too complicated and too tangled? And like some of the ideas that were, that I'm then, you know, that were being introduced in this show, obviously I'm, I'm only a couple episodes in, you know, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty complex, you know, in terms of, and, you know, we talked about this when, when we talked about, um, you know, Endgame and Infinity War and different timelines, it gets, it, you have to be careful not to get too tangled and, you know, um, you know, they did a good job of kind of cleaning it up a little bit when we ended, uh, you know, end game, but who knows? Anything else, Mike? Yeah, I agree that like, as they start trying to just make the, make this multiverse more tangled and interesting and crazy and adding more things to it. Yeah. You do have to be careful not to like, like retro everything you've already enjoyed and built through it. Um, yeah. Like, like for just example, texting brothers onto Dumbledore, just ha- let them have like seven siblings by the time they're done telling these spinoffs, you know, yeah, stuff I, like that. I, 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 can't, I can't, I don't even have the heart to speak on Harry Potter at the moment, but um, <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And like, and also like, yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's a fine show. Have fun with Loki. It's cool. Yeah, I gave it an eight out of 10, by the way. So I liked it quite a bit uh, in terms of comparing it to the other two shows. I think it's second for me. Uh, but I, I I really liked Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I liked this second, and then WandaVision was third for me. But I think you're opposite, right, Mike? I would probably put Loki. Of, of the three shows we've gotten, WandaVision, Falcon, and Winter Soldier, and Loki, I would probably put Loki at the bottom. And I would probably mm-hmm. put WandaVision at the top. I, I and I, I just will quickly add. I have not seen um, Winter Soldier yet. I, I did uh, just finish up um, WandaVision, and I felt like it was a really fun ride getting there. But then, kind of the ending was a little bit of a of a letdown for me. Um, That's how I mostly too. Y- yeah. yeah, but but all in all, I mean, look, we're talking about the they're churning out these series, and, and for how quickly they're making content, it's really high quality content. That's true. All right, cool. Let's move on to another piece of high quality content. And we're going to stay in the MCU here uh, for Black Widow. It's a movie that I feel like we've been waiting for like for like three, four years when it was first announced that Scarlett Johansson was finally going to get a standalone film. Uh, they call Natasha Romanoff confronts the darker parts of her ledger when a dangerous conspiracy with ties to her past arises. Uh, this film, in terms of the MCU timeline, takes place uh, right after um, C- Captain America Civil War. So this is before the uh, Thanos stuff, um, but at a point when the Avengers are super fractured, uh, some of them are considered felons for violating the Sokovia Accords. Uh, this is all stuff well established in the MCU, but if you haven't seen it in a while, it's good to get a reminder of where we're at uh, in the timeline here. Uh, so this is the standalone Black Widow film stars, of course, uh, the wonderful, beautiful, amazing, perfect Scarlett Johansson. Uh, <laughs> and also, we've got a great side cast here. Uh, uh, she's flanked by the wonderful, beautiful, amazing uh, Florence Pugh. <laughs> and oh. we've got uh, Hopper himself, <laughs> David Harbour's in this, Rachel Wise, Ray Winstone, O.T. Thagbanale out of uh, um, uh, Handmaid's Tales in this. Um, so great cast, great cast in this movie. Uh, Evan, you haven't seen uh, black Widow yet, have you, or did you see it? No, I'm, it's, it's on my list. I've been, I mean, I will see it soon. I think that it, you guys must've either seen it in theaters or gotten the premiere access, right? Cause I don't think it's hit Disney plus just normal. Did you go to the theater to see it, Mike? I did. Right. That was the one you went and returned to the theater to see, right? I did. Well, no, the first movie I returned to the theater to see was A Quiet Place Part 2, oh, yeah. which was, that was a good yeah. watch. This was the second movie I saw in theater. All right, cool. Well, give us some quick thoughts. Uh, uh, we're going to have to be vague again, I think, here. So, all right. Uh, that kind of sucks. So, but... the, all right, I'll, I'll be, I'll give you as vague. Uh, uh, don't be, don't be feel like you need to be that vague. Like, 
it's okay. I think there's I mean, ways gen- we can talk about it. Yeah. Generally, I mean, this is this this isn't one that's like. I mean, it's a standalone, right? I mean, it's not like you're gonna be. It isn't okay, as important. I'll say, the, to the I'll say this: it doesn't have major implications in the end. Right. Similarly to similarly to Loki, this movie is really about Black Widow. It's about Natasha yeah. Romanoff. It's about her revisiting the sins of her past. It's about her uh, looking back on the type of person she is, who she's become. She literally has a line in the movie that says, when someone asks her, what is her story? What is your story? And it's like, well, we've watched her story unfold, but we know she's lived a lot of different lives. Uh, so this movie really is about Natasha Romanoff trying to get in a headspace to where she can continue to move forward in her mission with the Avengers, which remember at this point in time, we just had Tony Stark and Captain America literally fighting each other. So it's a super fractured time. So it's a time when black widow learning uh, where she sort of fits into this mess uh, could be really valuable. So uh, that's one thing that I enjoyed about this movie is that it's really a look at Natasha, but uh, Mike, go ahead. Yeah, Evan, if I can just be as vague as possible for you, but this is a movie in which Scarlett Johansson gets mistreated by a giant, large corporate entity, and then she has to slowly find a group to fight back against this big, giant corporate entity that is taking Mm -hmm. advantage of the little people, and now it's time for her to get hers, and she wants to blow them out of the clouds. Okay, but what did you think if... about Black Widow? <laughs> um, I thought uh, it was a really strong cast. It was definitely nice to see this character finally get to shine. Black Widow is one of my favorite characters in the MCU, so it was nice to finally have a movie oh, that amazing told her backstory, which like just the opening of this movie is great. Like even before you get to the credits, it's like one of my favorite like MCU like build-in moments. And then the cast is really strong. Everyone really praised Florence Pugh. But I also think that like, um, you know, David Harbour and, um, uh, why am I blanking on her name? I'm so sorry. I, Rachel Wise. I, Rachel Wise. I love Weiss. Rachel Wise. Yeah, they both had really great performances as well. And the way they built in the family dynamics between everyone, like that made you care about everything that happened. I got to say, like, in terms of, like, the fighting and the action, it wasn't my favorite Marvel movie. It was fine. Like, it was it was solid. It worked. But, like, it made it all better because of how good the acting was and how much you cared about the characters' relationships to each other. And I thought that was something that was not only strong writing, but was really strong acting. And my hats are off to all the performers in the movie and to the writers, with the exception of all the writers who did the villain writing, because I thought the villain was very disappointing. I thought the spider yeah. Spider-Man PS4 cutscenes had a better Taskmaster than the way they did this Taskmaster. <laughs> Sorry, so, no offense to Olga. I she's a great actress. I just yeah, I was not that impressed with what they did with the Taskmaster character. You mentioned uh, the start, which is comes before even the title gets on screen. I agree, that's a good uh, sort of foundation. But the the, the credits themselves were sweet. How uh, you they were very dark. How you, we basically what basically they use the credits to fill us in on you know. Uh, on um, Natasha and her sister basically getting, you know, brainwashed in this, you know, red sparrow, like, you know, the black widow program for Russia, they turn them into assassins, take them from their family. So we see these credits happening along with all this crazy stuff from the USSR and like world events. So you get this dark, dark start to this movie. I mean, it really takes a really dark tone early on. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised because we know Natasha Romanoff has a very troubled past. We know that she comes from a very troubled thing, but to actually see it play out so early on uh, was pretty striking. So I, I really do like this movie and I thought it was, it was funny. It was actually, I just got done talking about how dark it was, but like once you get into the movie, like, there are some legitimately funny moments, like how they're, uh, you know, Florence Pugh making fun of how, like, whenever Black Widow, like, lands or gets done ass-kicking, she does, like, this pose, and they just call that out in the movie, which is absolutely hilarious. You've got David Harbour's character, like, gushing over how many people his daughters have killed, and he's, like, a proud parent about it, and so you just get these funny bits of humor uh, scattered throughout, which which I thought was good to bring some levity to a movie that got a little intense at times. Yeah, the you villain, said it all champ. 
The villain. Well, well, we know you don't have anything to say. Uh, the villain who uh, uh, Mike mentioned is was uh, yeah, Disney it's itself. Villain. What? It's oh, a, I'm sorry. It's... <laughs> I mean, that's, okay. that's in, a in, common... in case you guys are wondering, my Scarlett Johansson sued Disney because they didn't put this movie in the theaters. So let's just say it so we can stop confusing people. But the villain is bad. He's played by Ray Winstone. He's basically the guy who started the Black Widow. He controls all these women through mind controls. He's basically yeah. like this Russian crazy like pimp basically who's a psycho and uh it's a pretty weak villain although when you think about what he's actually doing uh it's one of the more revolting things any mcu villain has ever done yeah that is true like ray winston did a good job and and they did definitely create like you know a, a terrible world for these young women to grow up in and it was cool to see like that get dismantled and stuff that was that was really cool to add that element into the story of black widow like that was the villain, his villainy was well done, but the Taskmaster, I, I thought, was kind of a weaker side villain. Yeah, well, it was. And, and were we supposed to be surprised by that reveal? Right by that reveal, like it, it was pretty. We could probably see that coming, right? Like, <laughs> mm. uh, go ahead, Evan. I don't know. I was just gonna say, you know, we've talked about that a lot uh, with the MCU, the the weak villains. That's like been a recurring theme, and we've all kind of landed on. Uh, the Arlie's champ and I have on the belief that, you know, you need, you know, a villain just to be outright bad is not a good villain. You need a villain who's got some sort of righteous motivation. Uh, Eric Killmonger, uh, Thanos, obviously. Those are when I think the MCU gets their <laughs> best villains. So. I'm sorry. Now I'm thinking about Thanos in the second episode of What If, which I won't spoil, but yeah, <laughs> it's really freaking funny. Uh, yeah, uh, he's, so. he's no spoilers, but he's literally Little John because yeah. he works for Robin Hood. I love that they make Robin Hood. Anyway, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll all no. just talk about Robin Hood eventually. Sorry, champ. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, everyone, go ahead and drink. Mike said Robin Hood. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, so Friar Tuck episode two is out now on YouTube. You talked about the (laughs) the heart, Mike, the family dynamic stuff. I think a lot of that comes out when they're sort of uh, at the the farm outside St. Petersburg, um, where you see them having really genuine moments, even though all of them are fully aware that they were very much a fabricated family. Um, I think that all of them, you know, both through the conversation between Rachel Weiss and Rachel. Rachel Weiss and Natasha and Florence Pugh and David Harbour, they have like legitimate moments of empathy for each other, how they all sort of have this shared experience. Uh, and they realize that like through their violent struggles together, that's sort of what brings them together, which is a weird way for a family to bond, admittedly. Uh, but when you're a family of like super soldier spies from Russia, I guess that's how you roll. I just thought the chemistry between those four, the four main actors was was really on point. Champ has had an infatuation with Scarlett Johansson long before her role as Black Widow, and I can attest to that. Yeah, oh, I know, I know what we can talk about. A, there's a stinger at the end uh, where um, uh, that happens. There, Mike. That's uh, exciting. I feel like they're again setting up another series. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the unnamed, vague actress that we shall not mention appearing at the end. Uh, that was a very cool cameo. And I also loved her in Veep. No spoilers, Evan. <laughs> you just Thanks. gave away the actress. Thanks a lot. Uh, I could I could be referring to Anna Anna Chomsky. You don't know. <laughs> yeah, sure. Chomsky, Julia Lewis Dreyfus. I didn't say that name. I mean, it okay. could be anyone. I could be referring to Mina. You know, the head of uh, <laughs> Sweden. <laughs> Did, all right, it's time to class things back up, Mike, because we are professionals here. We're professionals here. We yeah. need to talk about In the Heights. It's a movie. Came out earlier this year, directed by John M. Chu. Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, wrote the stage play that the, the, the film is based on. It's a film version of the Broadway mu- musical in which Uznavi, a sympathetic New York bodega owner, saves every penny every day as he imagines and sings about a better life. Uh, this movie was on uh, HBO Max for a while. I don't think it is anymore. Um, but all three of us had a chance to watch it and, uh, it really is a fun, fantastic movie. Uh, super colorful, super musical. Evan, I know you liked it a lot. Give me some initial thoughts on, uh, in the Heights. Yeah. First off, um, saw in theaters. I think that's important. Um, and that helped, um, you know, my wife, uh, 
I love her, but you know, her film taste isn't generally my favorite, but she had suggested we go to the theater and see this. And uh, it's the best film I've seen so far this year. I, I really loved this movie. Um, I mean, where do I begin? I, I thought the music was great. I thought the singing was great. I thought the dancing was great. I really loved how they told the story through the particular musical numbers. I love how they, they used kind of such a standard basic scenario. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's New York, it's, you know, it's Washington Heights and they, they were creative with it. You know, it's not some fantastical world. It's just, you know, inner city urban area. And they, they used it to the best of its ability, if you will. Thought the character development was fantastic. There's so much culture in this movie. Uh, there's so much of a, a theme of, you know, being proud of who you are, where you came from, your heritage, your family, um, while also focusing on wanting a better life, wanting more. And there we kind of steered into some really deep themes of racial injustice, of um, immigration issues. Um, I thought that all of that said, because I touched on a lot of different things, because there were that many things I liked, you know, at the end of the day, this movie had a lot of heart. And I just thought it hit every single um, mark, you know, I, I, you know, it had some really fun comedy, it had lightheartedness, and then it had these really deeper, such relevant themes for our time. Um, it was emotional. Uh, I just, I absolutely love this movie. And, you know, perhaps we shouldn't be surprised given, you know, who, who it's from, um, based on the stage play by Lin-Manuel Miranda. But did you guys like this as much as I did? Because I thought it was, like I said, the best film I've seen this year. I loved it. I I saw it a while ago now, and I I, I have some notes that I had to pull up. So there were things I had to remember about it. But yeah, I, I agree with you, Evan. I thought this had great music, great acting, great character, great story. It just nailed like a lot of like that that kind of. Um, I don't know the energy that you find in New York and particularly within those kind of cultures in the Dominican Republic. Right. Like um, it was just a really sweet story. It was inspiring. It dealt with a lot of like the themes of what minorities, especially in New York go through. And I thought it was a great movie for right now. It was, it was, it had a very happy spirit in it. And uh, I thought it was a really, really good movie. And the music, music rocked. He's, a, I mean, Lynn Miranda has been doing some great stuff. Like, especially in the last year, he's got Hamilton and in the Heights in one year alone that came out. And uh, yeah, like he is definitely I think with this one, he cemented himself in terms of not just being able to do stage music, but this guy can turn his music into films. And this is in and, and the pandemic, like we all needed it most. So I thought he, I thought it was great. He just has such a unique vision when it comes to like putting things like this together and putting it on screen. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm sure he's getting some help with some of the choreography and stuff as well, but I mean, he's just so multi-talented, but yeah, I mean, this was a great movie. It was a great watch, uh, really fun. Uh, never like, never feels like it's dragging at any moment, which honestly, even as someone who somewhat, you know, likes musicals, uh, there's ones that can have dragged for me in the past where I'm just like, okay, get it going. We don't need to sing about washing the floor, you know, like, but like this one, everything was just so fun. It was that perfect sort of, um, you know, glimpse of life where you just sort of are nothing like too crazy is going on. It's just these people living their lives and uh, going about things and trying to reach for their dreams. But I love how this movie gives us that sense of community that exists yeah. in these sort of places where like there's like a, a, a patriarchal and matriarchal system where the elders are respected on the block and they have an influence in the community and people look up to them and people take care of each other. And, you know, we know that that doesn't happen all the time in, in communities, unfortunately, but uh, it was nice to see it in this movie because it really gives you a sense of optimism uh, in hope about just sort of like, everyday life being um great you know it just gives mm -hmm. you it just puts a good feeling in, and a good taste in your mouth when you watch this yeah and i also thought you know for um you know for immigrants particularly from the dominican i love the story it told about the development of a dream and um for abuela 
which I thought was one of the most emotional scenes, um, yeah. her, her passing, the development of her dream when she came to America, what she wanted, how simple and basic that dream is. And, um, you know, how in a good sense, how far that dream can come for others who are younger, who are looking for opportunities, who are, um, you know, in, in Nina's case, um, trying to, to go to a, a really um, a good college and grow that way. Um, and so it was cool to see the development of a dream for an immigrant, but also we, we get the kind of the downside to it and that there's still a struggle and there's still a long way to go. So as with so many things in this world, we've come a long ways in acceptance, but there's still so much more that we need to do and so much more that needs to be accomplished. And I think you got a really good shot of culture um, from the young and the old characters and kind of the, the development of, of all of them. I've seen a lot of people compare this movie to Crazy Rich Asians. Have you guys seen that? Where it's where it's sort of like this glimpse into a different culture and like the film is actively trying to teach you about the culture that you're watching mm-hmm. on screen because like, you know, we're three white guys. We obviously, yeah. we, you know, we don't have this sort of insight into, you know, the whether it's the Puerto Rican and Dominican and, and stuff in this movie or in that case, I, I think they're, I think they go to China. I might be wrong there, but um, I could be wrong. I wish I wouldn't have said that, but <laughs> um, it's this, but you know what I mean? The same sort of idea where you're getting a look into some uh, something that you wouldn't normally see and they do it in a really colorful, fun, digestible way. And I think this movie like truly succeeds on that front. Did you have a favorite dance number? Oh, well, first off, it is Chinese Americans and crazy rich Asians. I just looked that up, even though uh, I've not seen that. Oh, man. I don't I mean, they're they're so great. Like, I loved the use of small corner quarters for his his shop. Um, I also loved the use of the pool. I loved when they kind of was cool. The pool was cool. I loved when they you know, when two of the characters went all across the, the, the city and we kind of get this fan, we did get a bit of like this fantastical scene where they're sideways on top of the side of the building. Um, and you've got the bridge shot as the sun setting, like beautiful shot. Um, yeah, that kind of caught me off guard, actually, because I was like, like, we hadn't really seen anything like that, like, right, out of yeah. this world until that point in the movie. And then all of a sudden, we've got them like going Spider-Man walking on the side of buildings. I was like, I think the idea was that they were like, just they were like, w- wasn't the, that them just like going on like, just like a big dream, and they're gonna go chase it. And maybe it was just supported supposed to be like this out of the out of this world theme like they were just chasing their dreams no matter what so yeah I, th- I think that's right you know and i liked that i mean i liked when they had all kind of gathered in the in the in the heart of the 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 you know the block in the middle of the heat wave i liked when you know we had the fireworks shooting off at night i mean this oh, just yeah, had, that was a cool one the fireworks this just had cool. yeah i mean it had so many good spots um throughout and you know, I obviously, again, I thought the, the abuela scenes were really emotional. Like that was more of kind of the haunting, like, you know, struggle that, um, you know, minorities go through in America, especially back when she came to America. But yeah, I mean, this movie, I just, we could, we could go on and on, in my opinion. What grade would you give it? Um, I give this one A. Yeah. I give it an A. I. I gave it an 8.5. I don't know that it's quite enough to get the nine because like champ, I, I go grade basically on a 10 scale, but I, I nines is usually the highest I give. So it's like the closest thing to me to a nine. Um, so I, eight and a half for me is great. It's a, like I said, best film I've seen this year. I love how we say we grade on a 10 point scale, but we won't give higher <laughs> than a nine. So we basically grade on like a nine to five scale. Uh, but yeah, but uh, yeah, I gave it an 8.5 mm-hmm. too. This was a fun movie. It was, it was a great watch. Uh, I'm glad I sought it out before it, it got off um, HBO max. Cause I thought it was a really good time. Uh, a lot of fun to watch. I uh, was definitely playing the soundtrack after uh, for a little bit there, as I tend to do after I listen to a musical. Um, but it's a fun movie, and you should definitely seek it out. And I mean, yeah, Lin Man Miranda Man, it, 
he's proven that he's in a he's a genius playwright but uh i think he's pretty much guaranteed that he's going to get a movie deal whenever he comes out with a new play uh at this point so he's going to be cashing in twice uh but so far the results are good so i'm all for it uh, yeah, and but yeah i would just i would just ask real quick champ what where does this stack up because i said it's my favorite so far i know you keep a running list where is this at I've got it at uh, I've got it at number three. I okay. have uh, a Quiet Place Part Two, also as an eight point five, but I think I like that a little bit more. Kind of hard to compare those two movies. Yeah. Um, and I gave a movie a nine lately. It's that Woodstock '99 documentary on oh, HBO yeah. Max. I just found it enthralling. Uh, yeah. So I, I, you know, documentaries. I, I tend to, if it's a really well done documentary. I'm going to give it a nine because I just think that those movies are so they're so impactful, you know, when you get a really well done documentary and I think <coughs> hope, hope be, dreams. <laughs> yeah, that's also on HBO max. Uh, watch Lord of the Rings. And then maybe we'll talk about hoop dreams. Uh, Mike, you got anything else? You guys, your guys' screens went black, so I can't see your faces anymore, but uh, Mike, you got anything else? I mean, I think the best thing that I saw this year was, this uh, Friar Tuck play on YouTube. Oh man, it was just so, so good. The writing was just, ugh. Just oh, see, I, see I, I really liked the, the voice actors, but I thought the writing was where it was lacking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It felt like the, the uh, it felt like the writer didn't really, it wasn't cohesive. Like the tones were all over the place. And, I, yeah, uh, I think that the, the the main issue was the writer didn't have a good understanding of the source material. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're well, kidding. You know. Mike Mike wrote a script, uh, so I don't mind him plumbing it, plugging it here. And I uh, guess <laughs> it it did have to do with Robin Hood. Uh, but this is the part, the second part. What is it? The, the Shakespeare? Uh, what? Go ahead, Mike. Just plug it for real. Yeah, it's called Pretty Women. It's about. Oh, um, God. It's about <laughs> Scarjo. <Julia Roberts. laughs> yeah. Uh, Wait, Scarjo yeah. wasn't in that movie. No, no. no. Lawrence Two no. was in Little Women, which was a great movie. And it was. We reviewed anyway. it on this pod. You can go back and check it out. Our old episodes are on SoundCloud, Spotify. Uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can check out our Facebook page at the Second Day Film Podcast. We're also on Twitter at Second Day Film. You can hit us up on our individual Twitters uh, if you want to interact or whatever. We're always down to talk. I mean, I know this is just a two-bit operation here, uh, but you know, we always are down to talk film, right, guys? Right. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, appreciate both of you for being here. Mike's losing patience with me. So uh, uh, I'm going to sign off before he drives to Michigan and tries to fight me. Uh, but uh, we love you all. We love you guys, Mike. It's nothing but love for you, buddy. I promise. I love you too. Oh, it's good to hear. But that'll do it for today's episode. I'm Brandon Champion. For Evan Dean and Mike Nichols, thanks for listening to the Second Day Film Podcast. We'll talk to you next time and we'll see you.